Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. I remember when I first started my journey with God that I would try to read my Bible every day. I would try to pray. I would try to go to church. I would try to serve in ministry. I would try to fellowship with friends. I would try to do all the things that I was supposed to do, and I just couldn't fit it all in. Anybody ever been there? I just couldn't get it all. And um, I, would, I would hear about giving. I would hear about serving. I come to church, and sometimes I feel even more pressure because it would remind me of the things that I couldn't get right, couldn't do. And uh, I would hear about loving God with my whole heart, but the harder I tried and the hard, more I tried to make it all fit, the more I just couldn't get it all working. And I would come up short. I would feel guilty. Um, I'd feel not good enough. I'd get discouraged. And eventually I'd drop off. And sometimes I wouldn't go to church because I just didn't want to deal with all the, even the self-guilt and the pressure and the things. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah. See, I think so many people, it sounds like many believers today. Can I tell you, it doesn't only sound like many believers, it sounds like many ministers today. I can't tell you how many worship leaders that I say, they'll say, something's missing in my, my worship. What is it? And I ask them this one question. How often do you worship when no one else is around? they hang their head. Most every time, hang their head. Not much. I said, that's what's missing. Sometimes I'll talk to pastors and I'll say, they'll say, I'm trying to get everything right, but I just feel overwhelmed. And I'll say, how often do you read your Bible not to teach, but to hear from the Lord? How often do you read your Bible for you, not for someone else? Well, I'm just so consumed with ministering to other people that I don't get anything for myself. Yeah, it, it's it, it, the cook starving. The minister starving. And I think that's what happens to us sometimes is we get in there and start trying to serve God. We're starting this new year. We want to go for it and get going. And we're trying to help and serve and do and do all this stuff. And we're not eating ourselves. We're not getting filled up ourselves. Our bucket is empty, so to speak. And we're trying to pour something of the Lord over on people, and we realize we didn't put any of the Lord in there. Now, I know we have the Lord in our hearts, but I'm talking about spiritual food, spiritual things. Today, I want to talk to you, minister a message to you entitled, Why God Doesn't Seem to Fit. Because that's how I felt so many times in my life. Why God doesn't seem to fit. I'm trying to get God in my life. He just doesn't seem to fit. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. At home, we have this game. We have a bunch of games, but we have this game called Catamino. And we bought it at the Brain Store in South Coast Plaza. And it was, uh, it, it's a game that, that it, it has like a square or kind of a um, rectangle. And you fit different shaped blocks in here. And they all are supposed to fit and there's supposed to be no spaces in the blocks. 
and you uh, rearrange the game and you rearrange the pieces to where there's literally hundreds of ways that you can, once you figure out one, you can go do it again. And you always have to get all the squares with all these different blocks in. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in there and I'm trying and I'm trying to work it out. I'm trying to get everything to fit. And I either have leftover pieces or and I have gaps and I have the where you just go, ah, forget it. I can't get it. And then someone comes over and says, I'll figure it out. And they take all the pieces out and they start putting different pieces in and they get it all to fit. And I go, oh, I've been working on this thing for a long time and how can you get it all working? And it's working, and I can't get it all working. I just want to quit and throw the game away. That's sometimes how we are with the Lord and with, with the walk of faith and the fight of faith is I can't get everything working. Well, the Bible says in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. I heard a minister say years ago that the normal prayer of a believer is to ask God to bless our plans. He said, but if we'll take the time to find God's plans, we'd realize that they're already blessed we take the time to find God's plans. If you feel stuck, can I just say, um, clear the board and find out what God's saying to put in the, on the board. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, one of the most popular verses probably in scripture, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things would be added to you. We're in a series right now called God First. And I want to talk to you about why God doesn't seem to fit into our plans and the, re- the primary reason, the answer is, is that God needs to come first. And our plans fit in God. God doesn't fit into our plans. That's just the reality. It'll always be that way. If we'll learn this lesson now, we'll never have to keep fighting it. We just have to stop. If something's not seeming to work, we got to go back to God's plans, and then everything else will work. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, you look at your notes there. He says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax And not to be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God's provisions. Don't worry about missing out. Somebody needs to take that on this morning. They take that word in this morning. Don't worry about missing out. Out. I think that's why we miss it sometimes. If I go after God's plans, what about all these other things? Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all you'll ever need or everyday human concerns will be met. And then in the New Century Version, it says, Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. Listen, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then. See, that's the problem is sometimes we'll say, God, here's my life. Okay, let's see where you fit in this. No, 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 no. God's saying it's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way. So, so it's not just a matter of content in your life, making sure that God's part of the content of your life. But it's of priority and the order of content in your life. To get this puzzle, Catamino, working, it's not just about getting the pieces in. It's clearing it and making sure that we put the, the first piece in first and everything fits around that piece. It's not just the content. It's the priority and the order of priority or the order of content in your life. What we're talking about here for the next few weeks, maybe four weeks or so moving forward, 
is about putting God first in your life, getting God, getting the peace of God in your life and the word of the Lord in your life first so that everything else can fit around it. It's why we're fasting and praying. It's the way to get God out in front of our lives. I want to show you an illustration that I heard, and maybe many of you have heard this before, but it was back in the... The 1980s, Stephen Covey gave this example in a business seminar talking about how to get priorities and making decisions in your life. And he told about this teacher that walked into a classroom and he set this glass jar on a table. Can you put, we have some picture, a picture up here. Just leave that one there for a minute. He put this glass jar on a table and he silently placed two-inch rocks in the jar until no more can fit. Till no more can fit. You can see this up on the screens. And he asked the class, is the jar full? And what do you think everybody in the class said? Yeah, it's full, right? It's full of rocks. He said, really? And then he pulls out from under the table a small pile of pebbles. And he added them to the jar. Can you put that? He starts adding these uh, pebbles. And the pebbles begin to shake in between these large rocks. He began to shake it. And you see that? And until it filled all the spaces of the rocks, and he asked, now is the jar full? And they all said, yeah, the jar's full. <laughs> kind of laughed, you know, because they didn't see any, anything else on the table. So next he adds a scoop of sand to the jar, and he fills the spaces in between the large rocks and between the pebbles. And he asked the question again, is the jar full? And this time the class was divided Some felt that the jar was obviously full, and others said, well, there's probably some tr other trick that's coming up here. And so he grabs a pitcher of water, and he fills the jar to the brim, and the jar begins to go down between the rocks, between the pebbles, between the sand, all the way to the bottom. And he got, I mean, he had a whole, like, pint or quart of water that he could pour down in that, and it, it, it just totally filled up. He said, if this jar is your life, the teacher says... What does this experiment show you? And a bold student bursted out, well, no matter how busy you think you are, you can always take on more. And he said, well, that's how some view it, but he looks at the class, made eye contact with everyone, and he says, the rocks represent the big things in your life. And what you value at the end of your life, your relationship with God, this is what I'm saying here, your relationship with God, your family, your calling, your health, fulfilling the purpose that God has you on earth. That's the, that's the big rocks. The pebbles are the other things in your life that give meaning to your life, like your job, your house, your hobbies, your friendships, things that will fill in. They're important. And then the sand and water represent some of the small stuff, like watching TV, playing video games, running errands, hanging out. Other things that fill in. And he looked at the class again. He said, can you see what would happen if we started with the sand or the pebbles? And uh, I have another slide here where I want you to notice the same amount of content here. We put the sand in first. We put the pebbles in next. And we put the rocks in. But I want you to look in this bowl here on the left. How many rocks are still left? See, that's what happens. Just leave that up for a minute. It's just such a good picture of how we try to fit God into our life, and we realize our life's already full. Our life's already packed. So if we don't put the big rocks in first, God will never fit. And if God never fits, then God can't come first. I'm talking about God first. Seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it's not just a matter of content, but a priority in the order of content in your life. If there's one thing that you catch today, it's that God will never fit in your life unless he comes first. God will never fit in your life. You'll never find out how to get God working if he doesn't come first. Matthew 6.33 again, seek first what God wants in his kingdom and all of your other needs will be met as well. In Luke chapter 6 verse 46, it says in the New Living Translation, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Now, let me tell you today, I'm not trying to give you a condemning message. I, I grew up with messages called hellfire and brimstone where every Sunday night I came to the altar and got saved. I must have got saved about 300 times. I mean, over and over and over again. I'm not trying to give you a discouraging message. I'm just trying to read the Bible this morning, okay? So can you, amen? You wanna, can we read the Bible this morning? Okay, okay. So Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? And the message, it says, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir. That's right, sir. <laughs> but you don't do a thing that I tell you to do. <laughs> Not me, Lord. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Yes, sir, God. Yes, sir. Right? And we know God's stirring our hearts, that still small voice on the inside about something. And we just don't, you know. Jesus, we call our Lord and our Savior. The word Lord means master. Like a slave. It means master. And Savior means a deliverer. Now, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Let's read this out loud together. Can we ready? Read. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice, if you confess him as Lord, you'll know him as Savior. If you'll confess him as Lord, you'll know him as Savior. But sometimes we want him as Savior and not as the Lord. Tony Evans, favorite minister of mine, wrote this little thing about Savior and Lord. He said this, the reason you may not be seeing more of God's rescue and deliverance in your life is because you may have just positioned Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. You may not have positioned yourself as his slave. The book of Romans opens up with the words, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.1. A bondservant is translated from doulos, which literally means a slave. Paul, a slave. The job of a slave is to do whatever the master says to do. It's straightforward as that. Unfortunately, today, Jesus has too many other masters in most of our lives with whom he has to compete. But the important thing to remember is that Jesus is not willing to be among the many. He is not willing to be part of an association or a club. Neither is he willing to be relegated as a personal assistant. Jesus as Lord means that Jesus is to be the one and only supreme ruler and master in your life. He calls the shots. And he is to be acknowledged in everything that is done. And he closes by saying, too many people want a Savior, <laughs> but they don't want a Lord. Too many people want a Savior. Jesus, you're my Savior. Savior, he can move the... I love that song, right? Right? But they don't want a Lord. 
I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I already know what he told me to do. That's what I'm going to do. We wouldn't say it that way, but, but uh, he's saying, in fact, you say, Lord, he's saying, but we, we don't. I'm putting myself in the, in, in, the, in the batch with you, okay? Jesus said, if you try, listen, Matthew 16, 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And I want to tell you about the story of this rich man. We all know it in Mark chapter 10. Look at the, uh, look at the screens. I kind of put the notes next to the verses on it because I, I just wanted to fit it on a page. But I want to read this to you. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Can we all look at the screens? I'm going to have you look at the screens look back at your notes. Let's read this together. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, he says. So this rich man, he was a rich man. He knew how to profit. He knew how to make money. He probably had plenty of money, and what he was trying to do is he was trying to profit in spiritual things. He profited in material things, in life, in maybe esteem, in confidence, obviously, to walk up to this Jesus, the Messiah, who everyone was following, but he wanted to profit in spiritual things. Verse 18, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus asks, only God is true, truly good. You know, I think that Jesus saw maybe some pride or overconfidence in him because the guy was maybe fishing for a compliment. Like, oh, good master. It's kind of like when you, uh, ladies, maybe you just got your, got a new set of clothes and you got new, your hairdo all done. You walk up and you, to somebody, you say, oh, you look nice today. And they go, oh, you look beautiful too. Oh, yeah, I just got this done. It was, the compliment wasn't for them. It was for you. And I think, I think that Jesus probably looked at this guy and the guy's all, hey, good master. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, don't call me good. Nobody's good. And he said, oh, okay. Look at this. He says, why do you call me good? Only God's truly good. Verse 19, he says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. What was he saying? He said, you know. He assumed the man knew the word. He wasn't saying the man was a bad man. It wasn't that the man didn't have content in his life, even spiritual disciplines and principles in his life. He looked at him. He said, you know. You obviously know. Look at you. He said, you know the commandments. You must not murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify falsely, don't cheat anyone, honor your father, honor your mother. Teacher, the man replied. I, I don't know why I always picture like a play like he has an English accent. Teacher, good teacher. My, my, one of my kids were asking me one time, why do all the people in the Bible, did they really have English accents? I said, no, I, no, I don't think so. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I want you to notice this man was disciplined. This man was not only disciplined in worldly things or financial things, he was disciplined in spiritual things. I've made sure to keep the commandments, teacher. He was success driven. He obviously had a lot of money, a lot of wealth, and he was a good guy. He was obeying all the commandments. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a stand-up guy. So looking at the man, Jesus kind of looked him over. The Bible says that he had genuine love for him. Can I tell you, when Jesus was about to tell him this next thing, he wasn't trying to hurt him. He wasn't trying to take his stuff away. He wasn't trying to strip him. He wasn't trying to take from him. He was trying to help him. Does somebody believe that? 
He was trying to help him. The Bible says, you, sir, you're a good man, but there's still one thing that you haven't done. He told him, go sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. I want you to notice that this man, he said to you, this is what you need. Every one of us in here might have something that it is that the Lord would, might sit you down and you say, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, let me look you over. You're doing a good job. You're trying. You're working hard. But one thing you need, that's your one thing. Can I tell you, if Jesus would speak to this man, the Holy Spirit will speak to this man. Holy Spirit will speak to you. Just tell me the one thing that I need. Somebody say that. Just tell me the one thing that I need, Lord. To each person, it's something different, something that's holding us back. Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that he easily possesses. I want you to notice Jesus didn't have selfish motives when he was trying to take the man away. He didn't say, go sell all that you have and give to the Jesus ministry. He said, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. I'm not out for your money. I'm out for you. He says, sell all that you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. In other words, you can't carry your life and follow the Lord. Can I tell you, that's to someone in here today. You can't keep carrying all of your stuff, baggage. I don't have baggage. I'm not talking about just bad baggage, good baggage. Paul said I had to lay aside the good to find Christ. He said, you can't carry all your stuff and follow me. That's what Jesus was saying. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. Listen, the guy's looking at Jesus. His face fell, and he went very sad, for he had many possessions. You know, if it would have been today, he probably had several houses, beautiful houses, probably had a yacht, probably had, you know, some bling cars, garages, had his Harleys, had his clothes, had the vacation homes, had all the things that he needed. And when he looked, he probably looked at Jesus and thought, as much as I know you're right, man, I've worked hard for those things. I've given my life for those things that I've done the right thing. You're going to take that away from me? The Bible says he went away sorrowful. Notice he didn't walk away like with pride, like I ain't taking that. No, he walked away sorrowful. In other words, he wanted to follow the Lord. He just saw all the things he was going to lose. And he counted that larger than the word of the Lord. He counted those things larger than what God was saying, I love you, Jesus, <laughs> but where I got took me a lot. So he didn't take the deal. Verse 30, 23, it says, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, listen, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus uh, said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. I want you to notice what he called them. He called them children, dear children. It, because right before this story, before this guy walked up, he was just telling them, unless you enter the kingdom of God as a little child, you can't enter in. Why? Because children don't hang on to things. Children are not children. They're just like, I love you. Come here. I'm just open. I'm just simple, empty. This guy comes up. He starts talking to him. And then Jesus looks at him and says, dear children. What is he saying? The way to live. It's not about the stuff. God can give you the stuff. God will load you up with the stuff. But it's about getting first things first, getting the word of the Lord first in your life. 
And if all the stuff is holding you back from that, let it go because I love you too much. I'm not trying to get from you. I'm trying to get to you. Children, children, how hard it is for those who, in the New King James Version, trust in riches, enter the kingdom of God. He pointed out that this man's trust was in his money. It wasn't that he didn't want him to have money, but he noticed that this man's trust was in his money more than trusting in the words of the Lord. So he tested that. Verse 25, he gives this verse to close this passage, and he says, in fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, now let me, let me uh, show you something. Uh, pull, pull up this slide right here. When I was in Israel a couple of years back, there's a gate. I think this is a gate Jaffa here. And if you'll look right in that gate, you'll see this door. And this door was a smaller door. It was sort of a security door that everybody could walk in and everybody, you know, could walk out. But yet that door, the big gates didn't need to go open, but they had the smaller gate. Just keep that up for for just a moment and then put the next gate. And you see this other picture of this gate and then the smaller door and you see the camel. I want, I want to read this to you. He says here. I took that, that, those first two pictures myself. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Just look at that than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. A Jewish proverb commonly uses this to express difficulty or impossibility. In the large gates of the city walls were small, narrow ones, each called the needle's eye, through which a camel might enter in, kneeling down if it were unloaded. Now, I want to remind you, a camel is a load-bearing animal. It's not like a sheep. A sheep just, <laughs> just walks around and follows. A camel, you load it up with stuff. And a camel, if a camel was going to enter through a small door, it would take time because you'd have to unload the camel, put all the stuff on the side, and then the camel would actually have to come over to the door and kneel down and get under the door and kind of fit through the door and then go on the other side, drag the stuff through and kind of load it up or whatever they had to do. It was a hassle to do. Jesus said, it's, 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 it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, can I tell you, that is, if you look that up, that is arguable. Some people will say, well, that's, he was literally talking about the eye of a needle, like a needle, not that, because it probably wasn't that. Can I tell you, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter whether it was that or whether it was the eye of a needle. Jesus was saying, there's a narrow opening, and a rich man can't fit his stuff through it. And if you're going to get into the kingdom of God, you got to strip yourself down and you got to get yourself through. You can't keep the stuff you hold on to or enjoy. You can't keep the things you're confident in. You have to strip yourself down. You have to get yourself through. And on the other side, there's a whole load of the blessing of God and the love of God and the plan of God in your life. But you can't bring that stuff through with you. What's the point? The point is to get into the kingdom, you have to fit through the kingdom. God doesn't fit into your kingdom. You have to fit in his. God will not fit into your kingdom. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, pray. And the last thing he said, for yours is the... You know what? I say to the Lord often when I pray that. I say, Lord, I don't have a kingdom. I don't have a kingdom that I need someone to be a part of. It's all your kingdom. And yours is the power. I don't have the ability to make what you want happen happen. And yours is the glory.
forever. I believe that this is why there's many people who aren't seeing the promises of God come into their life. I believe this is why. Because just like Jesus looked at the rich man, he said, one thing you need, lay these things aside. Come back to just the, nothing else but you in a room with the word of the Lord. And start there. And everything else will be added. Let me close with this. I remember a number of months ago, maybe a couple of years ago, we were, we were at the church and um, I had been, you know, we had been at the church for many years in, in Anaheim and things are going really good and people are, we're seeing all these people come to the Lord. Just a good, good time, good, you know, just an amazing, like heaven on earth. I feel it here, but it was like heaven on earth. And uh, one of my kids said to me, that we were looking at uh, something on TV and the lottery came up and it was like $100 million on the lottery. And my kids said something like, hey, dad, if you won that $100 million, how would life be different? What would you do? And at first I went, huh, and I had to just think for a second. I said, well, I'd probably have a different car. But I'm not sure much would be different. Really? Why would life change because of money? My life is guided by the plan of the Lord. You know, I got to think. Well, it was just uh, a few weeks later, something was going on with someone's church I was talking with. And the church had to actually kind of close and shut down. And the, the, the man had a salary or he had something. And he was trying to explain to him. And he said, like you, what would you do if something happened to the church and you didn't get a salary anymore? You've been working at the church for all these years. What would you do? And I had to stop and think about that for a second. I thought, I said, quite honestly, I don't think I'd do anything different. Well, what would you do? Well, I'd go get a job so that I can keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not here for a salary. I've worked many, many, many years without a dime. I'm doing what I do because the Lord said to do it. Whether it be riches or whether it be poverty. Paul said, Paul said, I've learned that in whatever state I'm in, wherever I'm at in life right now, be content. Be content with what? Be content with the word of the Lord. Would everyone bow your heads, close your eyes, lay aside your notes for a minute. We talked about this man and his one thing. And I want to ask you, what is your one thing? What's the thing that God's saying to you today? Just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? Everyone just pray that under your breath. Lord, what are you saying to me today? What are you speaking to me today? Is there something that you're asking me to lay aside? Is there something that you're asking me to do? Is there something that you're asking me not to do? What is it, Lord? I just lay it out to you. Would you, with me, just open your hand like this. Open a hand, hands to the Lord. Say, Lord, I give you my one thing. I give you whatever that is. Maybe it's a job, a relationship. Maybe it's... Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's control of your life. You sense God saying something and you just don't feel like you can do it. God, <laughs> I put it all. Maybe you don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. But God, we come and we put that in your hands today. Put it in your hands, Lord. Put it in your hands today. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Lord. 
Lord, I put my life in your hands today. Every hope, every dream, every desire, Lord, give it to you, oh God. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Yeah.